Several Issues Etc. regular guests are candidates for leadership positions in the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. Every LCMS congregation has received nomination forms for the President and Vice Presidents of Synod. Please encourage your pastor and congregational leaders to fill out and return these nomination forms before February 28th of 2023. Learn more at issuesetc.org slash 2023 nominations. Issuesetc.org slash 2023 nominations. Anyone familiar with the New Testament Gospels know that part of the drama of those stories is the opposition, the animosity, eventually the antipathy that Jesus meets from, well, in some cases, the most pious of all Jews. The Pharisees are certainly that. Jesus never criticizes them for their piety, for their attempts to keep the law. What does he criticize them for? What's the real theological conflict that makes the Pharisees Jesus' most ardent opponents. Welcome back to Issues Etc. I'm Todd Wilkin. It's time to begin a series on the opponents of Jesus with the Pharisees. Dr. Curtis Giese joins us. He's professor of religion at Concordia University, Texas, and New Testament editor of the Concordia Commentary series. He's author of the Concordia Commentary on James. Dr. Giese, welcome back. Oh, thank you. It's always such an honor to be with you. How could this man, this figure, Jesus, meek and mild, kind to every living creature, how could he possibly have opponents or enemies? Well, these opponents question the very core of who Jesus is and why he came. They had a very aberrant view of how one is right with God. They vehemently asserted that by their own deeds, by their own level of sanctification, that they had earned favor with God. And that is starkly against everything of what Scripture states. Indeed, also in the Old Testament, when there be such things, God would act very vehemently against such uh, assertions. So also now, as uh, opponents question the very core of why Jesus came, the necessity of a, of a Savior, Jesus speaks vehemently because he knows what is at stake We were beginning with the Pharisees, which are probably the most well-known of Jesus' opponents. Let's speak about the origins of this sect of Judaism there in the first century. I have to go back a a little bit before that. At the end of the Old Testament, the Persian Empire is the superpower, and that's where the Old Testament ends. From other sources, other historical sources, we then learn that Alexander the Great arose in Macedon, and he conquered much of the then known world. Unfortunately uh, for him, Alexander did not live very long, but rather after his death, some of his very powerful generals fought with each other for various territory and power. One of the generals by the name of Ptolemy conquered the area of Egypt and then also the land of Israel and ruled there for a hundred years, and it was relative peace, and those of Jewish background could indeed carry out their religion in peace without much opposition. And now I hear the, I use the term Judaism and not the, the faith of uh, Old Testament Israel, but rather a movement. Judaism became a movement, a very legalistic movement that was veering away from the Old Testament. After Alexander the Great and the generals, uh, another general by the name of Seleucus, conquered the area of Syria, 
but then after 100 years of Ptolemy, then also then conquered the area of Israel. Now, the Seleucid kings were much less tolerant of Judaism, but rather, especially one of the kings, Antiochus IV, vehemently saw Judaism as a threat. He forbade the practice of Judaism and also desecrated the temple. And that, of course, raised the ire of many Jews. And especially one family by the name of the Maccabees began a revolt against the Seleucid power and domination. There's a father, Mattathias, but also a son, Judas Maccabeus. And so these Maccabees led a revolt, 166 BC, that led to Jewish independence. Now, it appears during this time, according to the book of 1 Maccabees, an apocryphal book, that there was a group of particularly pious ones that uh, joined with the Maccabees, a, a religious group that joined with them and saw the heroes of them because they were fighting against the secularizing Seleucid Empire. Many assert that these are the Pharisees. Well, as time went on and uh, a subsequent empire uh, from that arose, the Hasmonean Empire, the kings of the empire became more and more secular. And as a result of that, the Pharisees apparently broke with them and no longer were on the same page. Especially see this, for example, with one king by the name of John Hyrcanus, who ruled from 135 to 105. He had a group of Pharisees, especially and some others, at a dinner gathering in which he asked, well, how do you think the kingdom is going? And it was a mistake that he had made that he is both king, also assumed the role of high priest. And one guest there named Eliezer questioned this, and that indeed caused a significant break between the kings and the Pharisees. And this especially came to the fore with a king by the name of Alexander Yanaeus. Again, we're still talking Jewish kings in the independent Hasmonean Empire. Alexander Yanaeus especially oppressed and persecuted the Pharisees, caused much difficulty. And then on his deathbed, he asked his, his queen, his wife, Alexandra, to make peace with them and grant them more power, as indeed was the case. So then the Pharisees uh, received more acceptance. There was no persecution that went on anymore. And that virtually essentially brings us to New Testament times where the Pharisees have a very prominent role in society in the New Testament, but in constant opposition to Jesus. We need to point it out here because the New Testament makes a distinction between Jesus' opponents among the Pharisees and the chief priests and the and the various orders that surrounded the, the priesthood. The Pharisees were largely a lay movement, weren't they? That's indeed the case. They were lay members of the middle class, a merchant class, so middle to upper class, and they were highly esteemed in that society. The common people looked up to them since they were the viewed as the heroes of the faith, those especially with a high ethic who defended Judaism, uh, defended it in a, in a traditional manner, defended it against impinging movements such as Hellenism, uh, Greco-Roman culture and thought and traditions. They were also opposed to Roman occupation, although not violently, uh, such as the Zealots, who were a separate group. So indeed, they were highly esteemed by what they stood for, a lay class, and indeed, highly, highly viewed in society. 
So how does it happen that in the New Testament, they are generally portrayed in a negative light? Well, they constantly oppose Jesus in various ways. They taunt him. They test him. They stand against Jesus and his disciples in so many ways, and they ultimately lead to his death. Just to speak about the, the teachings of the the Pharisees and how they're in opposition. So in, in some ways, they are in line with the Old Testament faith, but as mentioned, a, a very legalistic movement that went far away from what the Old Testament stood for and the type of Savior it was looking for. The Pharisees viewed the entire Old Testament as authoritative. They accepted both the written Old Testament and also an oral law, allegedly additional rules handed down from Moses, of course, something not accepted in the Old Testament faith, but additional rules and laws verbally handed down from the time of Moses and then carried on by the Pharisees. And Jesus speaks about this, how they add more and more burdens upon people not intended by God. They emphasized keeping of the Sabbath, tithing, ritual purification, but vehemently above and beyond what is in the Old Testament, and they focus solely on law. And we'll take a look at that, how they used an inappropriate belief in, in the use of the law. They did believe in life after death, resurrection of the body, demons and angels, individual responsibility, but there are significant theological problems that arise with the Pharisees that indeed put them in stark contrast and opposition with Jesus. First of all, they differed regarding the use of the law. As indicated in Scripture and the Lutheran Confessions, there are three uses of the law. A first use, a civil use, a use is curb to keep human action within bounds as God works through rules in society and through the authorities in society, such as starting from parents and also to teachers and those who enforce laws and so on. So civil use, but also then second use is the law as a mirror where we stand before the perfect standard of God's law and we see that we fall short. And then scripture articulates a third use. So having been renewed in Christ, baptized into his death and resurrection, what does the sanctified look like, sanctified life look like? So here, law is being used as a guide to show what is God-pleasing. But the Pharisees asserted an additional use of the law, and we can see this. Uh, this is a, a, exemplified. For example, the formula of Concord, a solid declaration for on law and gospel, is an introduction. It says, the mere preaching of the law without Christ either produces presumptuous people who believe they can fulfill the law by external works or drives man utterly to despair. So here they are using the law to illustrate their high ethic. They are using it for presumption. So very improper use of the law. This especially comes to the fore as Jesus speaks vehemently against the, this aberrant theology, the tax collector in the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector, where he says in Luke 18, says, Jesus also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. 
the Pharisee standing by himself prayed thus, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. And there's something also aberrant about the, the Pharisaic use of the law here that Jesus vehemently speaks against. This is seen in Augsburg Confession 6 on the new obedience. There it says, It is also taught among us that such faith should produce good fruits and good works, and that we must do all such good works as God has commanded. But we should do them for God's sake and not place our trust in them as if thereby to merit favor before God. So here, the Pharisees, as exemplified in, in, this, in this parable, is using good works as a source of trust. Indeed, our, our good works are necessary, but they can become dangerous when we put our trust in them. And so Jesus identified that and vehemently opposed that with the Pharisees. But there's also a, another way regarding human works that the Pharisees were extremely off track, and Jesus confronts that, and it's, it's also stated in the formula of Concord. Uh, let's take a look at Matthew 23. Here Jesus speaks seven woes against the scribes and Pharisees. And these are some of the most targeted, sharp words of Jesus against the Pharisees. And here's one of them in, in verse 23. He says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others, you blind guides straining out the gnat and swallowing the camel. And this then is, is something that the form of Concord touches upon and also something that was existing in the Roman Catholic Church as they would add more and more regulations and laws to burden people created by man and not by God. It says in the Formula of Concord, Article 4 on Good Works, it says, First of all, there is in this article no disagreement among us concerning the following points. That is, God's will, ordinance, and command that believers walk in good works that only those are truly good works which God himself prescribes and commands in his word, and not those that an individual may devise according to his own opinion or that are based on human traditions. That truly good works are not done by a person's own natural powers, but only after a person has been reconciled to God through faith and renewed through the Holy Spirit, or as St. Paul says, has been created in Christ Jesus for good works. So again, an aberrant view of human works by creating more and laying on the burdens of people. And the Pharisees viewed themselves as new lawgivers by these traditions handed down and pressed on people. So an aberrant use of aberrant view of the uses of the law and human works. And also Jesus greatly opposed them because of their view that they do not need the mercy of God and nor do they see the need for giving mercy for others. This is especially exemplified, for example, in Luke 15, 
where the parables of the lost occur. There, Luke begins and says, now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him and the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. And then the great parables of lost sheep, the lost coin, and also the lost son appears. And, and there that, that elder son doesn't see the need to show mercy to that younger son who was led to repentance and faith and given forgiveness. And that exemplifies Jesus points out about the Pharisees and so vehemently criticizes them that since they do not see the need for God's mercy for themselves, they don't see their shortcomings as the, the law is intended, so also they do not see the need to show mercy to others. So on many significant points, Jesus opposes the Pharisees because of the very significant theological ways in which they deviate from sacred scripture and deviate from a confession of the coming savior of who Jesus is and why he came. Dr. Curtis Giese is our guest. We're beginning a series on the opponents of Jesus today, the Pharisees. On the other side, it's often purported that they have a problem with the purity of life or purity of doctrine. That's why Jesus criticizes them. It's actually the opposite. We'll discuss that next. Ten questions to ask every time you read the Bible is the Issues Etc. Book of the Month for November. This new resource will help you navigate God's Word with clarity and confidence. Ten questions to ask every time you read the Bible is published by Concordia Publishing House. Their phone number 1-800-325-3040 or browse before you buy at issuesetc.org. The Issues Etc. Book of the Month. Ten questions to ask every time you read the Bible. Job saw the city as a wasteland, as if devoid of God, witnessing injustice to the poor by the corrupt, lawlessness of criminals, trafficking of children, blatant immorality, thinking God could not see wicked deeds done in the dark of night. Yet God never abandoned Job, nor his city, groaning for mercy. God is working through the living Redeemer, hands etched with salvation, pointing to the resurrection to come. Join us at lcms.org slash citymission to seek peace and shine the light in the city. This is Pastor Leonard Payton of St. John Lutheran Church, Forest Park, Illinois. Forest Park being an inner ring suburb of Chicago. We're a mile and a half south of Concordia University, Chicago, and a 10-minute walk from a metro station and the ends of both the Blue Line and the Green Line. If work is moving you to Chicago, consider joining us. If you're visiting Chicago, come worship with us. It's a church for a great city and a great location. Our website is stjohnforestpark.org. Our Christian faith is under constant attack, and we must be proactive in keeping our children in the church. At Faith Lutheran School in Plano, Texas, we believe that an education rooted in God's Word is one that stands against the very gates of hell. Nothing in this world is more important. Offering a rigorous classical Lutheran education, we provide in-person and live online remote learning opportunities for preschool through grade 12. To learn more, visit flsplano.org, flsplano.org. Your daily Lutheran Bible class. You're listening to Issues Etc. Issues Etc. guest Dr. Ben Mays of Concordia Theological Seminary, Fort Wayne, Indiana. Here's what Martin Luther says about the pastoral office. My pastor is practicing the virtue that increases God's kingdom, fills heaven with saints, plunders hell, robs the devil, wards off death, represses sin, 
preserves peace and unity, and plants all kinds of virtue in the people. In a word, he is making a new world. He builds not a poor temporary house, but an eternal and beautiful paradise in which God himself is glad to dwell. We are calling good men to step up. Come to Concordia Theological Seminary, Fort Wayne, Indiana. Learn more about studying for the vocation of pastor at ctsfw.edu or call 1-800-481-2155. Concordia Theological Seminary, Fort Wayne, Indiana. Here's a tweet from David, came in today. Happy to report that our ascension of Christ Lutheran Church in Beverly Hills, Michigan, the church council voted last night to renew our sponsorship of Issues Etc. for another year. You can promote your confessional Lutheran Church and support the worldwide outreach of Issues Etc. by becoming a congregational sponsor. Learn more on the support donate page at issuesetc.org or give us a call 618-223-8385. Become an Issues Etc. congregational sponsor in 2023. We're talking with Dr. Curtis Giese, beginning a series with him on the opponents of Jesus, the Pharisees, is today. So today, people often criticize the ancient Pharisees in this way. They say that they put too much of an emphasis on purity, either purity of life or purity of doctrine. But as I read Jesus, I don't see him criticizing them for wanting to do good works or guard God's word. In fact, his criticism seems to be that they both add to and take away from sound doctrine. That's definitely the case. Uh, Jesus says, look at their, so what they say is indeed significant when they speak words of biblical law and the proper uses, but they are hypocritical in their actions then. So Jesus does not forbid good works, but rather our trust in them as the Pharisees so much exemplify that they put their trust in, in their deeds rather than seeing the law as a mirror to show human emptiness, brokenness, and need for a savior. So the Pharisees did not see a need for a savior like Jesus because they did not see their fallenness. The picture of the Pharisees is not uniformly negative in the New Testament. There are some positive or perhaps neutral references to this sect. Where would we find those? There are indeed some very positive ones or neutral, and I'd also like to refer to some words of Josephus as he tells about Christianity. One example is Nicodemus, and that appears in John chapter 3, where John says, Now there's a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. So that's the Sanhedrin, the Jewish ruling council. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, We know that you're a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. And then follows the famous conversation between Jesus and Nicodemus about being born again through water and the word. And probably the most famous words of scripture, for God so loved the world in John 3.16. And then uh, we're told that Nicodemus uh, was brought to faith in Christ, and he and also another member of the Jewish ruling council, Joseph of Arimathea, opposed the sentencing of Jesus to death, but then also were led to care for Jesus' body for burial. So Nicodemus, a significant Pharisee. Uh, But also 
in Acts 15, 4, uh, that's just before the, the Jerusalem Council, it introduces the situation, the Jerusalem Council. It says that when they, namely Paul and Barnabas, came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and the elders, and they declared all that God had done with them, namely referring to the first missionary journey. But some believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees rose up and said, it is necessary to circumcise them and order them to keep the law of Moses. So distinctly says that some who belonged to the Pharisees were among the believers in Christ. Also, there's a, one account in Acts chapter 5, speaks about uh, a leader of the Pharisees by the name of Gamaliel, who is also the teacher of Paul, and also very appears very significantly in the Jewish books collections known as the Mishnah and Talmud. In Acts chapter 5, it, it says regarding Peter and uh, other apostles, they were confronted by the Sanhedrin, rested, told not to speak about Jesus, but they did it anyway. And it says in Acts 5.33, when they, the Jewish leaders, heard this, they were enraged and wanted to kill them, to kill the apostles. But a Pharisee in the council named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law held in honor by all the people, stood up and gave orders to put the men outside for a little while. And he said to the men of Israel, take care what you're about to do with these men. For before these days, Theudas rose up, claiming to be somebody, and a number of men, about 400, joined him. He was killed, and all who followed him were dispersed and came to nothing. After him, Judas the Galilean rose up in the days of the census and drew away some of the people after him. He too perished, and all who followed him were scattered. So in the present case, I tell you, keep away from these men and let them alone. For if this undertaking is of man, it will fail. But if it is of God, you will not be able to throw them. You might even be found opposing God. So they took his advice. And when they called in the apostles, they beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus. And they let them go. And also in Luke 13.31, it speaks about some Pharisees that were concerned about Jesus' safety. It says, at that very hour, some Pharisees came and said to him, said to Jesus, get away from here for Herod wants to kill you. So some Pharisees sympathetic to Jesus. And also, I'd like to just share the words of Josephus. Uh, again, Josephus was a Pharisee, a member of the Pharisees, and he was a general in the great revolt against Rome, but then was led to cooperate with Rome, and he has uh, handed down incredible historical documents. And again, Josephus, Pharisee, has no initiative to support Christianity, but yet he records this about Christ, who he was and what he did. Uh, Josephus says, at this time there was a wise man who was called Jesus, and his conduct was good, and he was known to be virtuous, and many people from among the Jews and other nations became his disciples. Pilate condemned him to be crucified and to die, and those who had become his disciples did not abandon his discipleship. They reported that he had appeared to them three days after his crucifixion and that he was alive. Accordingly, he was perhaps the Messiah concerning whom the prophets had recounted wonders. So that Josephus, the recounting of a Pharisee regarding Jesus. So there, there are exceptions, noteworthy exceptions, where members of the Pharisees were brought to faith or act on Jesus' behalf or record favorable words about Jesus. But overall, 
in the New Testament, the reaction of Jesus, his interaction with them is very negative and very critical because of their incredibly legalistic uh, approach that they had taken in opposition to the Old Testament. Let's talk about the Apostle Paul, who at one point in recounting his own story refers to himself uh, as a member of the party of the Pharisees, indeed a Pharisee of Pharisees, kind of a superlative. Even among the Pharisees, he was a Pharisee. What does he mean by that statement? And we need to talk about both his conversion and his part as a Pharisee in the persecution of Christians. He states that indeed he was a Pharisee of Pharisees, that he practiced this strict form of Judaism, in his view, abiding by the laws uh, above and beyond he went. He was exemplary among them, and even to the point of persecuting Christians. Uh, we read in the, uh, the book of Acts that he went with orders, authorization, to go to Damascus and to arrest anyone who belonged to the way and drag them to the uh, Jewish authorities. So he saw that as a service to God by persecuting those of the way. And that way, he viewed himself as particularly exemplary in his representing the Pharisaic movement. And as mentioned, he was trained by the Pharisee Gamaliel. But Jesus appeared on the way to Damascus, the risen Jesus, and said, Saul, Paul, why do you persecute me? So he was brought to realize his fault and indeed shared many instances of guilt that he had once been a persecutor of Christianity and also previously, even before his, uh, his conversion, it's recorded that he assisted with the uh, first martyrdom, namely of Stephen, that he was complicit in that. So just another example in which he represented, followed, and, and absolutely supported the Pharisaic movement and sought as a service to God to persecute Christians. But a great change came over him, having been confronted by the risen Christ and made a follower of Christ and also one of the greatest representatives. So indeed, there another Pharisee who ultimately showed Christ as the fulfillment of the Old Testament and proclaimed him but again, he showed much regret or remorse in his actions against Christians until he was brought to realize the truth of who Christ is and why he had come. We're beginning a series on the opponents of Jesus. Today we're talking about the Pharisees with Dr. Curtis Giese. He's professor of religion at Concordia University, Texas, and author of the Concordia Commentary on James. Did the Pharisees, at least at first, regard Jesus as one of them? Several Issues Etc. regular guests are candidates for leadership positions in the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. Every LCMS congregation has received nomination forms for the President and Vice Presidents of Synod. Please encourage your pastor and congregational leaders to fill out and return these nomination forms before February 28th of 2023. Learn more at issuesetc.org slash 2023 nominations. IssuesETC.org slash 2023 nominations. Have you thought about eternal life? When does it begin? What is eternal life? Well, your eternal life does not begin when your body, earthly body, fails and is laid into the grave. It begins, in fact, in the waters of holy baptism where you were tied to the death of Christ and in him you were raised. 
To learn more about this topic of eternal life, pick up your copy of the November issue of The Lutheran Witness. Visit witness.lsms.org to learn more. The Lutheran Witness, helping you interpret the world from a Lutheran perspective. Expert guests. Expansive topics. Extolling Christ. You're listening to Issues Etc. Not everyone is comfortable with new technology. Dial A Podcast gives all generations of your congregation an easy way to hear your sermons or even devotionals and Bible studies. Once you've completed a simple one-time setup, we take care of the rest. All your congregants have to do is dial the number from any phone to listen to your latest podcast, all at no additional cost to them. Dial A Podcast. Extend the reach of your sermons. Get started at dialapodcast.com now. Did you know that Luther Academy has been providing continuing education for confessional Lutheran pastors and laypeople worldwide for more than 20 years? Luther Academy publishes Logia, the Confessional Lutheran Dogmatics series, and Luther Digest. Find out more about Luther Academy and sign up to receive their free email newsletter at lutheracademy.com. lutheracademy.com and like them on Facebook, facebook.com slash lutheracademy. Welcome back. I'm Todd Wilkin. We're beginning a series on the opponents of Jesus today. We're talking about the Pharisees with Dr. Curtis Giese. Dr. Giese, I'm wondering, because at least at first it appears that the Pharisees have quite a bit of respect for Jesus. They refer to him as rabbi. That's not just any old way of regarding a teacher. That's an honorific. And I'm wondering if at least early on they regard him, if not as one of them, maybe as some kind of an ally. Uh, just to describe that, the, the first year of Jesus' earthly ministry is often described as his year of inauguration, uh, the second year, the year of opposition. So in that first year, indeed, it was often engagement with the Jewish leaders, indeed, also including the Pharisees. So discussion, engagement, not on the same page but a lot of uh, banter is probably not the best word, but engagement discussion about sacred scripture, about the Old Testament, about what it means, especially matters of law. So indeed, there was uh, discussion at the first between them and not outright opposition. Speak also as to the purpose of their testing him. We're often told that they either themselves or send envoys to test Jesus in some way. What was the purpose of that? Yeah, they wanted to catch him and discredit him and bring credit to themselves. For example, when Jesus is asked about paying the the temple tax, and he asked that a coin be brought to him, and there Jesus says the famous word, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar, and to God the the things that are, are God's. So instances like that where uh, a question is brought up or also the matter of divorce and the like. So they, they want to see what he says, and they're often trick questions, and Jesus outdoes them at every turn. What role did the Pharisees in particular play in the eventual arrest, the trial, and the crucifixion of Jesus? It appears that they did have some political power. In the book of John, as I recall, it mentions that the Pharisees were integral in sending out the soldiers to arrest Jesus. 
the Jewish ruling council of Sanhedrin had many Pharisees among their group. So thereby, the Pharisees had power as well. So groups together, the Pharisees, Sadducees, Herodians, those of the Jewish ruling council, many of these groups did not act together typically, but they were in harmony in their opposition against Jesus. And together, they acted to arrest him and trap him, arrest him, and finally bring him to trial. And there he was in front of the Jewish ruling council, some of whom were indeed Pharisees. So the entrapment, arrest, and ultimately also standing before Pilate, since the Jewish ruling council did not have the power of capital punishment anymore, they were among those who approached Pilate that the capital sentence be waged against Jesus. There is a a little bit of a hint that there's some theological conflict between these opponents of Jesus, the Pharisees, and other opponents of Jesus, the Sadducees, of which we know a little bit less. We'll talk about them in another part. But what was the conflict between those two groups? A major point of conflict was the resurrection. Actually, after the third missionary journey of Paul, when he is... Uh, under trial, there he brings up the question of the resurrection, and that takes the attention off of him because then that's a point of argument between the, the Pharisees and the Sadducees. The Sadducees were more secular and did not believe in such an afterlife. So that was a, a major point uh, of opposition between them. Are the Pharisees behind this phenomenon we see in the book of Acts where Paul is largely kind of dogged on his missionary journeys by, they're called Judaizers. Are they somehow behind this? Yeah, the Judaizers were ones who were asserting that Jewish rituals are necessary for the Gentiles in order to become Christian. And they indeed dogged Paul at various points. I read in Acts 15 about uh, some Pharisees who are called, who are stated they're Christians, emphasizing that. So their legalism, overt legalism, overall emphasis uh, of that comes to the fore. But indeed, Paul speaks about them frequently, and suddenly also in the in the book of Philippians, chapter three, uh, as I recall. Paul is speaking about various things, uh, many positive things. It's called the epistle of joy, but then suddenly he goes off very negatively speaking about those who want to damage the body and, by circumcision, insisting that that is the way that is necessary in order to be a Christian. So that came to his mind uh, very vehemently at that time. So yeah, there are many instances, also Galatians, where Paul speaks about that. So indeed, the Judaizers were a thorn in the side of Paul because that, that legalistic emphasis came up that these are necessary in order to stand right with God. So what should it tell us that when Jesus comes onto the scene, and then after his ascension, the church continues to proclaim Christ as the only way, truth, and the life of salvation, that it is the most pious and earnest sect of Judaism that becomes really, in a lot of ways, perhaps along with the chief priests, his most ardent enemies. That's significant, and that highlights the the danger of good works, how they can become a temptation. Uh, 
as mentioned, good works are necessary as they flow from faith. But when our focus is placed on them, it can become a danger. I'd read that from the Augsburg Confession that uh, when we put our trust in them, that's something that separates us from the, the grace of God. So they fell into that temptation and uh, their good works uh, became their, hi- their highlight rather than those deeds which flow from faith. So that is an ongoing danger for us as well, that we focus on our works instead on the mercy of Jesus Christ. They rejected that mercy and highlighted their deeds instead. Do we know what became of this sect of Judaism? That's a great question. Now, a a big barrier, big threshold that occurred was the the war, the Jewish war against Rome in 66 to 70 AD. A whole lot of turmoil. And, And we read in Josephus also that the Pharisees tried to stop the rebellion in some way, but obviously they were not successful. And after those years of carnage, the question is, who are the successors? The Pharisees as such did not continue, but the rabbis rather became the dominant force in Judaism. And their words ultimately recorded in the books known as the Mishnah and Talmud. Now, a scholarship looks at the two groups, Pharisees and rabbis, and it appears to be indeed a, a strong connection but not a one-to-one correspondence. Uh, some of the Mishnah and Talmud indeed include Pharisaic teachings and actually words from Pharisees such as Gamaliel, but uh, there are many things that are not in agreement as well. So it appears there's some continuation of the thought of the Pharisees, maybe even some of the uh, exact line as the rabbis continued, but again, not an exact continuation, not a one-to-one correspondence between the Pharisees and the later rabbis that became dominant in Judaism. So then can we say, at least in a general sense, with about a minute here, that with respect to Judaism in its modern form, laying aside Reformed Judaism, the the theology of of the Pharisees by and large won out. Yes, in, in many ways that uh, legalistic emphasis and multiplication uh, of laws regarding minute things comes to the fore in those works uh, known as the Mishnah and Talmud, extremely minute, specific in their articulation that goes way beyond what is stated in the Old Testament and the New Testament regarding law. Dr. Curtis Giese is professor of religion at Concordia University, Texas. He's a New Testament editor of the Concordia Commentary series, and he's author of the Concordia Commentary on James. You can purchase the Concordia Commentary on James on the Talk On Demand archives page at issueztc.org or by calling Concordia Publishing House, 1-800-325-3040. Next time in our series on the opponents of Jesus, we'll talk with Dr. Giese about the Sadducees. Dr. Giese, thank you very much. Oh, thank you for the invitation. Great to be with you. Thursday on Issues Etc., we'll talk with Bill McKeever about the Mormon Church's support for a same-sex marriage bill. We'll discuss proof-texting early church fathers in Roman Catholicism with Dr. Stephen Parks, and we'll continue our series on the difficult sayings of Jesus with Pastor David Peterson. I'm Todd Wilkin. Thanks for listening. Listen weekday afternoons to Pastor Todd Wilkin and guests on Issues Etc. Issues Etc. is a listener-supported program. 
Your financial support is vital for the continuation and expansion of this worldwide outreach. Our mailing address, Issues Etc., P.O. Box 83, Collinsville, Illinois, 62234. Box 83, Collinsville, Illinois, 62234. You can also donate at our website, issuesetc.org. Issues Etc. is a production of LPR, Lutheran Public Radio.